Amen. Church family, would you be seated? And as you do, take your copy of God's Word. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. We will uh, pick up where we left off in the creation account this morning. As you uh, turn there, I want to uh, welcome those of you who may be uh, guests with us. You know, ever since we reopened, what, seven or eight weeks ago now, and there have been guests every week since uh, we have reopened, and I recognize this is a difficult uh, environment, not this particular room, but just coronavirus and things that are happening. This is a difficult environment. If you've moved to a new area or you're uh, thinking this is a, a good time for you to begin to uh, search for a church family, this is about the hardest time you could ever possibly uh, imagine doing so. And so we just want to thank you for uh, giving us uh, an opportunity to show you who we are as a church family and to uh, let you know we are grateful that you are here worshiping uh, with us today. Uh, would you now, sorry to sit you and then to stand you right back up, but would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? This morning, we're going to be considering Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26 down through the end of the chapter. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let, us, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is open uh, that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that I, has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, would you bless the reading of your word? Would you help us, God, as we come to it for instruction that brings about life? We thank you, God, for what this text tells us about life itself and about men and women as image bearers of God. Help us now as we come to this text to understand, let our eyes be opened by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you were not with us last week, uh, we covered the first five and a half days of creation. This is our third week uh, in a series through the entire book of Genesis that will take us about a year um, this first part we're calling the pattern as God lays out how things, how God uh, lays out how things are intended to be when they were, as we see here at the end of this chapter in verse 31, very good. And we saw in the first five and a half days of creation that uh, Moses, as he writes this, 
shows us the forming of an earth that was at one point formless and the filling of an earth that was at one point void that God made out of nothing everything that exists. And we looked at, we talked about a Latin phrase called ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. I try not to give you other languages two weeks in a row, but I'm going to do so. Because today we're talking about the Imago Dei, the image of God. And I only give you other language words when they actually mean something. And they mean something because this has been something that the church of God has held on to, not always that well, but that we have held on to for centuries that man and woman were created in the image of God. It's why I stopped last week with the first creation on day five. As we were looking at these work days of God and creation and thinking about how God was forming and filling the earth, we, we made it all the way to uh, everything is as God intended it to be except for the crowning work of his creation. There was not going to be time last week to do justice of this text, and so we saved it for its own sermon. If you did miss last week, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to that sermon so you can get a full picture. And then we're even serving day seven for next week. So really there's four sermons um, dealing with creation, uh, the creation account here in Genesis that all build upon one another. But today we take up this subject of the, the forming and the, the, of human, humanity, of man and woman in the image of God in the Imago Dei. That millennia later, we sit here as image bearers of God. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room, marred by sin, as we will see when we get to chapter 3, but nonetheless still present in our lives as the crowning work of God's creation. Look at verse 26, the first sentence of verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. All people, not just people sitting in this room, not just people that are like us or even think like us or act like us, but all people are created in the image of God. So in this second act, if you'll remember as we looked at, we compared the six days of creation last week. We said day one and day four corresponded with one another and day two and day five corresponded with one another and then day three and day six did. And day three and day six are, are unique as relation to the other days because there are two creation acts in that work day of God. And this is the second creating act in the sixth work day of God where God first addresses himself, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of having the full revelation of God in both the Old and the New Testament, that we can look at God talking to himself and know why God is doing so. This is the first hints of a triune God 
Now, if all we had was Genesis 1, 26, we would not have enough information to know that God exists eternally in three persons. And this is not a sermon on the Trinity, and so I'm not going to uh, go fully into that. But just note, this is the very first hint of that. And we'll see this in Genesis, particularly in these first several chapters of Genesis, that we begin to see these threads that God is going to weave throughout all of Scripture. And this is the very beginning of that first thread, that God exists in a way that is completely and utterly different than everything else because he is three in one. And so in his nature as the Trinity, he talks to himself, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God purposes in this second half of his sixth work day to make something that stands as unique in all of creation. That man and woman are not created at the same time as the other animals that exist on the earth because we are different than the other animals that exist on the earth. And here is what makes us different that we are the image bearers of the creator. So to look at the creation, as we saw last week, we can look at the creation and see God. We can't know specific things about God, but we can know some things about God. We can look at creation and know that there is a God. And the one thing that stands above all else in creation that tells us that God exists is us. Now, you talk to people and they'll say, oh, it's the beauty of the sunset. It's the vastness of the ocean. It's the wide universe as we stare out at the stars. No, listen. It is men and women and boys and girls created in the image of God above all else that tells us that there is a God because we are all created in his image after his likeness. The next time we see a phrase very similar to this is in Genesis chapter 5. After Adam and Eve are placed in the garden, after they disobey God and fall into sin, after they are judged in that sin and they begin to have children, we're told this in Genesis 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So here's what we see in Genesis chapter 5 is that what God does in Genesis chapter 1 passes from one generation to the next. That it wasn't just Adam and Eve, the first people who were created in the image of God. It is every human throughout history who has ever lived has been created in the image of God. Every human being regardless of their age, from human embryo in that first stages of uh, after conception to the very end of life, they are image bearers. Regardless of their ethnicity, black, white, brown, everything in between, they are image bearers. Regardless of their religion, Christian, Muslim, Jew, Hindu, nothing at all, they are image bearers. 
regardless of their choices, even if those choices the Bible says are sinful, regardless of their political affiliation, their immigration status, their sexual identity, their economic contributions, their philosophical beliefs, regardless of what a person does with their lives, they are still an image bearer of God. Folks, that's important for us to understand because for far too long, the church has embraced a worldly temptation to treat people who are other than us as if they are less than us. By denying the image of God, the church in America was able to argue for chattel slavery. And there is, there is substantial writings from the 16th and 17th century where, where I'm going to use this phrase loosely, Christian theologians argued that some people were less than. And because they were less than, the image of God was not as pronounced in their lives and therefore could be owned by another. And still today, based off of where someone is from or someone's status in life, someone's choices that they have made, we all too often fall into the trap of treating someone as if they are not image bearers of God, but they are. And it matters. James, in his writing to the New Testament church, appeals to the image of God in every human being as it relates to how we treat one another. He writes with it, talking about the tongue. He's talking about how we talk to one another. And he says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Hear me. We should check every word out of our mouth as it relates to another person by what it says about the Imago Dei. The way that we think about people and the way that we talk about people should always be checked with this. Am I diminishing the image of God in that person? Hear me, Facebook warriors that just love to do battle online. And you, you just love sharing meme after meme and you get in that comment thread and you just go to town ripping people apart. You need to understand something. You are breaking what James says to be a command for the church. That we guard our tongues because our tongues curse those who are the image bearers of God. I recognize for us that we look out in our world today and we see people who are doing things that we think that they should not be doing that. They, they shouldn't be embracing this philosophy, this way of life. They, they shouldn't be aborting children. They shouldn't be practicing homosexuality. They, they shouldn't be doing these things that the Bible clearly says is wrong. They, they shouldn't. But that doesn't in any way diminish the fact that they, as you, are created in the image of God and as such are the crowning work of God's creation along with you, redeemed Christian. Second, the image bearers are representatives of God's authority over creation. That verse continues, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
humans as the crowning work of creation have dominion over that creation. The words that are used here in Genesis 1.26 are words that are used to describe a royal figure. So as, as God is describing, because that's what's happening here, just as God had previously on other days either named his creation or described his creation, and that's what he's doing here. He's describing his creation. As God describes humanity, he does so in the same way that, one, that a king of Israel would be described as one who rules in the place over God's people and over God's creation. That's what the word dominion means. So often when we think of dominion, we think of abuse, that someone is domineering because they have the same root, right? And having dominion often leads to the sin of being dominant over someone thinking that we get to rule someone else, but we recognize we are all image bearers, and so this isn't our permission to rule one another. It is our permission collectively to be that which God created us to be, his representatives on earth, that it is the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the livestock of the earth and the creeping things on the earth that we rule over. The week before we started in Genesis uh, chapter 1, we, I preached what I called the prelude to uh, this series in Genesis from Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, we read this, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. There again, royal phrasing. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. But dominion doesn't mean to dominate. Dominion in this usage means to care for. That we as men and women created in the image of God have the responsibility to care for that which God has created. Now, Christians start talking about environmental causes and people get really squeamish. That's really because in America, we, we've done ourselves a great disservice by marrying politics and religion together. And we really need to work towards separating those things. But, but here's what happens. I, I start talking about caring for the environment. And some of you automatically start thinking, I'm some hippie liberal, okay? But will you just, will you just put your politics aside for a second and understand what God is doing here? God has created this earth that at the end of the chapter, he calls very good. Meaning this, everything is as it's supposed to be. It's the pattern. And as his final work of creation, God makes man and woman. He makes humanity. He makes us and sets us as the crowning work of his creation and gives us dominion over it, saying, care for this. Now listen, folks, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't get into politics from the pulpit unless it's a moral issue and so you understand, I'm not arguing for or against any environmental position that any politician would take, other than to say this, as image bearers of God who recognize that we are image bearers of God, we must, we must take serious 
the instruction of God to care for his earth. Now, what that means to you is your personal conviction, but you need to understand something. We don't get to say, and by the way, I've heard far too many Christians say this. Well, I've read the end of the book. God's going to destroy it all anyway, so let me just... No. Folks, if that's your heart as it relates to what God has created, repent today. Change your mind. And begin to recognize that God has set you in this world partially to care for it. Because he set us over it and gave us dominion as his image bears. Number three, image bears, created male and female, are equal in dignity and intended for a relationship. Verse 27 is the first poetry contained in the scriptures. This verse reads, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Of all of the verses that we're considering today, this is the one in our society that is probably the most confrontational. It is the one that very likely, either from someone sitting in this room or maybe watching on camera today, that I'll get an email saying, you're old-fashioned. You're not thinking rightly. We've, we've progressed as a society beyond uh, male and female. Depends on who you listen to now. There are people in our culture that says there are dozens of genders that anyone can choose from. If they're unhappy with their own, they have options now, and they can choose any uh, gender they would like other than the one that was assigned. And this is the phraseology that is used, assigned to them at birth. This thinking is uh, relatively new, but it has been a long time baking in the oven. The sexual revolution of the 60s led to uh, this gender fluid movement that we live in today. But God created humanity intentionally with gender. Human sexuality, our identity as male and female, is crucial for God's design for life. Men and women were created by God in his very good creation as men and women. It is not the fall that assigned gender roles. It is not the fall that said men will be men and women will be women. It is God in his creating act that said men and women are men and women. Intentionally so. And it is, listen, very good. It's not a burden that God created us as men and women. It is a very good thing that God created us as such, and know this, while men and women are different, they are equal in the eyes of God. Now, we are a church that affirms the whole counsel of God's word. And here's what we know from the whole counsel of God's word, that God created men and women differently. And because he created men and women differently, particularly as it relates to the family and the, the family at home and the church family, the people of God, men and women fill different roles in those places. But one is not more important than the other. While men will only be the ones who stand and preach with authority uh, as a pastor in this church, that does not mean that somehow all men are better than all women in this church. That is not true. It's not what the Bible says, and it's not how God created us to be. 
men and women in the eyes of God are created intentionally as men and women equally image bearers of God intended for relationship with one another. Nothing else in creation speaks to relationship quite like men and women. And that's what's being alluded to here. That because God created us different, he created us for relationship. And that desire for relationship, not only with one another, but that desire for relationship with God will be a primary theme, not only here in Genesis, but throughout all of Scripture. And this, again, is the beginning of that thread that God created us, all of us, intentionally as we are, good and for relationship with one another and with him. Number four, image bearers are intelligent creatures who can hear and receive God's word. Now, verses 28, uh, particularly verses 28, Uh, 29 and 30 are going to seem very similar to what God has already said in these previous verses. But here's here's what I want you to see. That God described humans, men and women, and now he is going to instruct humans, the image bearers of God, as intelligent creatures who can hear and receive his word. Listen to what he says. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and every thing that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, we've seen God speak a lot. And we really can categorize God's spoken word in Genesis 1 in three categories. The majority of time we see God speak, it's words of power. And God said, day one, let there be light, and there was light. And on every successive day in the creation, God spoke, and it was so. Those are God's spoken words of power. But as we saw at the beginning of this message today, in this passage, there is internal words between the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. It shows us God speaking within the Godhead. But here, in verse 28, we have now the first spoken revelation for mankind to follow. These are God's first words of instruction to those who are made in his image. Everything else in creation, God either named or described. And those things do exactly what God has set out for them to do. The sun and the moon and the stars, the sea and the land, the air between the water on earth and the water and the clouds, the plants of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the mammals that walk along the earth, the crawling things, all of those things were described in the work days of God and they still today do exactly what God intended them to do. And he described mankind in the previous verses. But because we are image bearers of God, We don't necessarily do what God 
described for us to do because he has given us agency, the ability to hear a command, to intelligently process that information and to either obey or disobey. He gave us the ability to listen. And as we will see in the coming weeks, to not listen and to suffer the consequences. And so this here, as as God is now speaking to the first man and woman, he is giving revelation, instruction for how they are to live as intelligent beings, as image bearers of God. And again, we have the benefit of hindsight of being New Testament Christians who have both the Old and the New Testament as the closed canon of God where we can say that God has spoken to us. And so here's what we know that this story of Scripture is God revealing himself and his will to his people. The first place that we actually see God do this in written form is not Genesis 1. The first place that we see God do this in written form is Deuteronomy chapter 9. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10, we read, And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you, on the mountain out of the midst of the fire, on the day of the assembly. The first written words of God wasn't Genesis 1. The first written words of God were the Ten Commandments where God himself wrote down the law by which the people of God were to maintain so that they could be in right relationship with him. And then the stories of Genesis and Exodus are are penned by Moses, who was that receiver of the law, starting this process over centuries where things are written as they are revealed to the prophets and to the priests and to the kings and to the apostles and the people of God, and they write them as if from God to us. To when we get to the New Testament, at the very end of his life, Paul writes to uh, his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3, and he says, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what God began here as the first spoken instruction to man and what God continued in the first written instruction in Deuteronomy, we we now have as the closed canon, the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, God's revealed will to us that we can, just as the first man and woman could, hear it, process it, and do something about it. As James writes in James chapter 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We still have the same agency that they had all those millennia ago. We can listen and either obey or disobey. And if we disobey, we suffer the consequences as we will see the first man and woman do in the coming weeks. So what? Jesus Christ is humanity's only hope to be fully restored to the image of God. Every week that we have already considered here in Genesis 1, and you'll see this again as we move into Genesis 2, all of the sermons prior to the fall in Genesis 3 assume one thing, that you understand that things aren't as God originally made them. 
Now, you may not be a student of the Bible and know what happens in Genesis 3, and my invitation to you, whether you're in person or joining us online, would be to keep coming, keep watching, because we're going to get there in the coming weeks. And you'll see what happens, and I'm going to describe it briefly here in just a few moments. But even if you have no idea what I refer to when I say the fall, here's what you know. If you've listened to the last three sermons, you know that what God says is very good in Genesis 1 has been messed up. There's what we're going to call the problem when we get to Genesis 3, that something happens and things aren't very good anymore. And while we are still image bearers of God, that problem, that what, what the Bible calls sin that is so ever-present in all of our lives has marred that image of God. And here's specifically what it marred. It, it, it took that righteousness that we had, having no sin, being in right relationship with God, and it soiled it. And it's made it where we couldn't be in right relationship with God because he is holy. But Jesus provides a way for us to be restored to that image. Not that the image is fully lost because as we've seen, we're all still image bearers. Adam, after the first sin, still passes on the image of God to his son Seth who passes it on. So we're, we're still image bearers of God. James affirms that in the New Testament. We're still speaking about people who bear the image of God, but that image of God, particularly as it relates to our place in relationship with God, has been affected by sin. But Jesus provides a way. For the sake of time here in 1 Corinthians 15, I just want to start in verse 47. We read this. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, describing Adam. The second man, describing Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That's us. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. That is those who have had something happen in their lives. And he describes it here in verse 49. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. So here's the good news for you today. The good news is, yes, God created you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, in his image. And you have borne his image from the moment you were conceived, and you will bear his image to the moment that you die. But that image, because of your sin, is distorted, and you are out of relationship with God. But God sent what Paul describes here in 1 Corinthians 15 as the man of heaven. This is Jesus who died in your place, making you able to be restored in that relationship with God. If you will only come to him in faith and repentance, he will give you a new heart. He will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And here's what then happens. And Christians, this part is for us. Here's what then happens. We spend the rest of our days on this earth being conformed into the image of the man of heaven. That righteousness of God that was lost in the fall. We get to work towards restoring that right relationship that Adam and Eve had, we'll see in, in next week in the, in the garden. We, we work towards restoring that, that relationship that we have with God. 
the image of God becomes more clear in our lives as the man of heaven, Jesus Christ, continues to transform us into his image. And then we look for the day. We long for the day. As we saw last week where creation itself will be renewed, which is where we ended last week. This week, we long for the day where we fully will be renewed. We call that glorification. The day that things go back to as they were. All by the power of Jesus. And so if you are still today in your sin, my invitation for you is this. Would you believe in Jesus? Put your faith in him, trust in him so that you can be restored. So that that image of God within you can begin to look like Christ himself. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. God offers that to you. For the Christians in the room, we continue to strive for that Christ-likeness. We continue to, to strive to walk in that image of God as image bearers while we recognize, and this is important for us, go back to the beginning of the sermon, while we recognize that every person we come in contact with, saved or lost, has the image of God in them, is loved by God, and therefore should be loved by us. And the greatest love we can give them is to speak, as we saw in Ephesians in our previous series, speak the truth in love to them, showing them the goodness of God through the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you created us in your image, that, that we are not the beasts of the field, but that we are the crowning work of your creation. Help us, God, to honor that as we think about people who are different than us. Let us reject ways of thinking that have permeated our minds or even our society that says that others are somehow less than because we know they are not from the truth of your word. But let us recognize, God, that they, many, are separated from you. And we, the church, have a responsibility to proclaim the good news of Jesus to them so they too can know what it means to walk as image bearers in the likeness of Christ. For the person who's never done that, we pray, God, that now they would repent and believe. You would draw them to salvation. By your power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you're watching with us online, we'd love to hear what God's doing. There's a website on your screen right now. You can respond to us. You just fill out that form on that website. One of our pastors will contact with you. If you're in the room today, I'll be at the Connect 10 out front. When this is over, I'd love to talk to you and hear what God is doing in your life. However you would respond. We call this our song of response. This is our moment to say, God, here's what I learned from your scripture. And we worship him corporately in response to that. So would you stand with us now and sing?